had a conversation with my son. He was in the back seat and I was getting ready to drive him to school. And I was sort of lecturing him and saying, you know, how hard you work is one of the only things that you can control in this world. You know, how, how is that not comforting? Why would you not want to do that? And I, <laughs> I like look at his little face in the rear view mirror and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. That's me. <laughs> Hey, Lit Mamas, welcome. You're listening to This Mama is Lit, the podcast where we explore the many multi-sided questions of motherhood. I'm Amanda Fields, Editor-in-Chief of Literary Mama and a divorced mom of one. I'm Holly Rizzuto-Polker, Profiles Editor at Literary Mama. I'm a mom to three amazing children and a cute Jack Russell. And I'm Brianna. I have two kids and I'm also a Profiles Editor. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Kelly McMasters has edited two essay collections, Wanting Women Writing About Desire, and This is the Place, Women Writing About Home. And she is the author of Welcome to Shirley, a memoir of an atomic town, which was an Orion Book Award finalist and one of Oprah's top five summer memoirs, which is pretty cool. Um, Most recently, she published a beautiful essay collection about marriage, divorce, moving, and loss, which Booklist called Wise, Honest, and Completely Absorbing. And she teaches writing at Hofstra, and she is the mother of two boys. Who are how old now? Almost 12 and 14. How would you describe yourself as a mother in five words or less? Oh, lordy. Five words? Um, hmm. <laughs> My hope would be um, fair, mm-hmm. honest, joyful, abundant and forgiving. Hmm. The joyful really comes through in the memoir, um, the joyfulness of your mothering. What Talk about the honest. What does honest as a mother mean? Sure. I mean, I think something that you and I have spoken about before, the idea even of how to approach hard things with children, whether that is, hey, I'm having a really hard day today, so I'm sorry if I'm cranky. It's not you. Uh, to, wow, you're having a really hard day today. Is there something we can do about that, right? Um, instead of just pretending. I think so much of mothering culturally is about pretend. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm, I do my best to push against that in my mothering. In the, in the book, when um, I work up, the nerve to finally tell my kids that we're getting a divorce and to use that word. And their reaction is, I thought you already were. <laughs> um, and so I think sometimes um, that's when the honesty comes too late or I was so honest, but I didn't label it that the intention was clear, right? We mm-hmm. are apart. Um, we are no longer a joined family unit in the way that we were, um, whether we need the label or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so would you say that labeling it that way is another level of honesty? I think it can be a trick because sometimes we say the word and think the kids know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, among my friends here, um, divorce means different things in every family. <laughs> so uh, I think the important thing is to be honest about in those more granular moments. What were you going to say, Amanda? We spend so much time trying to figure out the best way to talk to our children that sometimes they've already figured it out. Like when, you know, when I was going through 
my divorce. And, you know, eventually my kid was like, oh, this explains why you've been like this for months. Right. And she didn't have an answer for it, but she knew exactly what was wrong. And they're, they're so intuitive and intelligent. And if we can just sort of acknowledge that, right. And see it for what it is. That's also part of the honesty of, of motherhood is, is acknowledging their insights and trusting them. Yeah. I remember being on, um, on a first date, uh, and I was, I was driving somebody home and he got into my car and was like, smells like Cheerios in here. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yes. It, I don't smell it anymore, but yes, it definitely smells like Cheerios in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good mom dating story. <laughs> no hiding when the, you know, get the, the car, the toddler seat and uh, the Cheerio smell. It's very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> but you are dating. I mean, right? Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's, you know, I mean, that's a different version of honesty, right? We can choose, we could choose to withhold that and um, have relationships. I mean, that's what's exciting with this new digital dating stuff. A lot of great things. If you want to not be a mom, for a little while, right? Yep. Okay. You can create this digital personality where you're not. Yeah. Now, if that is going to be a real relationship, clearly that's not an option, but uh, <laughs> it would be hard to sustain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it, like if you've been in a real, like I'm, I was, you know, dating too. And if you've been in a relationship for so long, it is very exciting to just have the, the possibility. Like I would walk into, you know, meeting someone and be like, here I am. If you don't like it, turn around and walk away. Like, and it was so great to just like be able to inhabit that and to choose what I, what I give to somebody and what I don't. Absolutely. The choice is um, so freeing and so Mm -hmm. exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like also being moms makes you uh, more confident on the dating scene, perhaps. Would you say that? For me, I think at the beginning, it made me less confident because um, I think I forgot how to have adult fun, <laughs> um, you know, to go into a bar and not talk about my kids uh, or, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but ultimately, I think in terms of, I mean, what is motherhood but rejection over and over? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah that steals you for for dating in you know the 2020s um you're good right (laughs) you and your kids move a lot in the leaving season it's about leaving a marriage but it's also about leaving different locations I I think you mentioned in the book the the data about how moving is as stressful as like a death in the family yeah so I thought that was interesting that you kind of um gave this thing that we tend to think of as um, very mundane, like the weight, the sort of psycho, real psychological weight. So I was wondering about if you could talk about your moves and what helped you get through them. Yeah. What I would do throughout is create other routines that I could string through visual memories. Like I'm even thinking there are these little, uh, little birds up there. <laughs> so those clay birds, right. They've, they've followed us. There are these little talisman that follow us through each house. So objects feel more like home. Um, mm-hmm. 
objects that we that are a shared part of our life together. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, I've, I'm looking around now and I have a lot of them, you know, this little coffee filter squid thing that one of them made when they were two, you know, and, they, and it's really important. And, and I would say home is us, right? It's not, it's not things in that way, but, but the, the, the things that make us feel at home are for me, since we've moved so much are much more about what we bring into each home rather than the homes themselves. So it's not the um, the encasement, it's who we are and how we function within those homes. Um, and so, you know, something as simple as bedtime routine will be the same, has been the same. They probably would not be excited for me to share this, but I um, we had our well visit yesterday and the pediatrician was a little surprised, but I still read to my kids, both of them at 12 and 14 every night. That is what we do. I will until they kick me out by force. <laughs> right? And I think knowing that that's how their day is going to end where are, wherever we are is really helpful. I will say I noticed in this last move, it was really important, my little one, it was really important to him to bring his bike that he no longer fits on. And just the other day, because it's sort of tucked in the back, you know, outside and it's pretty rusty and there's, he can't even fit on it anymore. And I was like, is that still important to you? And he said, absolutely. My older son is much more interested in the hope and possibility of moves of what new person can he become? You know, that kind of thing. What can he shed? And my youngest is still really focused on what he can hold on to and sustain. Who are you more like as a person? Oh, I would say I also moved a lot in my twenties and each one of those, I loved the shedding process. Um, but I always had my wall and I always had the same things on my, my writing wall, right. That I would have wherever I was writing. But now I, I do find myself much more in the nostalgia aspect rather than the what's next. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Do you feel like that will continue? Like you'll, as you get older, you will go further and further towards the nostalgia side. How do you think about it going forward? I know my relationship with stuff will, will shift, but you know, I still have all of my children's baby teeth and can't ever imagine getting rid of those. I still have their little, you know, the crust from their belly button and uh, so there are, there are some things that don't, that don't feel like things. Yes. I can't imagine that ever changing things that don't feel like things. I'm going to, I'm going to keep that for a while. <laughs> One of my favorite passages in the book uh, was toward the end. You stopped to get new to you chairs and you were like, this is great. They're, they're, they were free. Right. Um, and you needed chairs and your son was like, absolutely not. Like we have chairs. We need to keep these chairs. It just evoked so well that human feeling of like, I need to get control in this situation because everything is changing and it's upsetting to me. If we think about lack of control or illusion of control more broadly, are there other ways that you respond or relate to that as a person, as a mother? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, work for sure. Okay. Uh, that is, I actually had a conversation with my son. He was in the back seat and I was getting ready to drive him to school and I was sort of lecturing him and saying, you know, how hard you work is one of the only things that you can control in this world. You know, how, how is that not comforting? Why would you not want to do that? And <laughs> I like look at his little face in the rear view mirror and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Okay. Um, so that is definitely something that I, uh, I notice about myself. I was just going to say I had a parent teacher conference last week. And so, and I realized as, as I was talking to the teacher, I was like, things that I'm concerned about, I think I'm projecting those things. So it became a therapy session about, you know, yeah, you do project those things. And again, we like, we learn, they're so smart, you know? And I like this, this question that about projecting your own behavior onto, onto your child, that you are vigilant and searching for signs of distress, but that mostly the children are fine. And then Brianna asks, to what degree do you think this is true across all the changing grief and upheaval that children encounter? Like what, how do you know that they're fine? Our own definition of fine will change and shift throughout our life. Right. But um, I, I guess I define my kids being fine by do they feel loved by me do they feel safe and if they know that i'm there and it does not mean that they're happy it does not mean that they're not in pain or that they're not sad about things um but that they have the tools to then move through those things and that i'll be there with them to do it um i think that's fine it's an impossible task to feel as a mother that your job is to not scar your children. I think it's just the nature of parenthood that every child will come out with certain scars. And it's the goal is to also build along some structures to repair when they start to recognize those scars. That's my hope anyway. How do you tell that they feel safe, that they know that you're there? I think even just sitting on the couch together, well, A, that they'll sit on the couch with me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, it's different with each one and it'll change week to week. But um, in these little, little interstitial moments, my youngest had a rough homework day yesterday and you know, we sat across the kitchen table holding hands while he was really mad at me. (laughs) He was so mad that I was making him do this homework on Sunday, but we were holding hands and, you know, got him through. And, Mm -hmm. and I think, I think that willingness to, even if, if it's fiery and then, but respectful, right. And then to be able to, um, to then say, but can you make me those pancakes? (laughs) I want to ask about this idea of like with the moves or with divorce, right? Which both I kind of think of as like death in that, like they're difficult things that just happen in life, right? There's no sort of way to escape them. And so, and just as you said, like we wouldn't want to protect our children from everything difficult because then they're totally incapable of living life. So what it, would you say that your your kids have gotten from from like being parented in, in two different houses or from the moves? Like how have they grown and been strengthened by those experiences? I do think in my case, and obviously that's not every case, the most rewarding part of the divorce has been the parents that each of us have been able to become mm. on our own. They do seem more confident entering into new spaces. There are ways that they create home in both places for themselves, mm-hmm. uh, continuity, um, you know, separate from the parents, which mm-hmm. I think is really useful. And I think the more that, um, that they can see 
different representations, like what pancakes at their dad's house looks like on Sunday versus what French toast at mom's house looks like on Saturday. I, I, I hope that that will then be just widen that aperture for what parenting can look like for what kind of parents they can be and choose not to be right. And if they even want to be parents. So I think more opportunities to see multiple variations of ways of parenting can only be healthy. Yeah, that makes so much sense. When they're very little, they sort of just accept the worldviews of their parents. Um, and now they're at a point where they compare that to their own experience and own worldview. Mm-hmm. So I think in the same way, they're able to say, I think that might be your stuff. <laughs> it doesn't have to be my stuff. Um, and, and I think that's a really healthy period. Um, tough, tough, right? I think it, I think it, that is a different loss, a different rupture that happens when you suddenly identify as separate from, or realize um, you disagree or can't rely on necessarily feeling the same exact way as a parent in the way that you just assumed you could as you were when you were little, little. Um, But I think that that independence is really healthy to then say, all right, I, I understand how you feel, but let me take a moment and figure out how I feel. And is that true? And measuring all of those things. I think when you've got um, everybody in one bubble, right? There's not that much opportunity to step outside and compare in that way. I imagine, I mean, that was my experience. My parents were together. Um, It's just the way it was. And Mm -hmm. so being forced to step out of those bubbles, um, which are so different, and then kind of make that compare and contrast in the middle. I think it's, it's hard, but I think they will probably be able to do that. That will probably show up when they are young adults and in their twenties, being able to um, ask themselves, my hope is how do I feel about that? What do I think about that? What do I believe as opposed to um, just accepting facilitating their ability to develop their own um, just thoughts and opinions about the world. You talked about it as a rupture, which makes me think of the last question, this idea that to some degree, our children are always leaving us. How do you see, relate to, experience that process in your own motherhood? It's so bittersweet because every leaving means you're on the right path, watching them walk away each time is so painful, but it means growth. It means independence. And that's the whole goal. The first time I understood that was when I was, we may have actually spoken about this when I was nursing my oldest and I was pregnant um, with my second. And I just, every day was like, please let this end. (laughs) And I wanted him to, you know, finished nursing when he was ready, but boy, was I ready. And one day he was just done. This thing that I thought I couldn't wait to happen had happened. And all I felt was grief because I didn't know that that was the last time. And there, since that, that was sort of how I imagine that was like the first 
after after birth, after him leaving my body, that was the first leaving that really hit me. Yeah. And yet it was the beginning of such a wonderful new stage where he was so separate from me in a way that he hadn't been and was really becoming his own person. And I think since then there have been many instances of of that. Um, and the one that, you know, we opened this conversation with or close to the beginning, I know that one day my kids are going to say, oh, we don't need the story, mom. We can go to bed by ourselves, right? Um, I know, and I know that I'm going to weep, but I will also be so excited if I peek in and say goodnight and they're reading books by themselves, right? That's <laughs> That would be amazing because you give that to them for their whole life. And we we do ultimately have to send them out into this really difficult world where we can't be next to them all the time. And, and it's when I think about the cumulative leavings that all of the world's mothers have had to hold, it just feels so heavy. And yet knowing that we all collectively had to let our children leave us makes me feel so much lighter and in communion with other mothers that yeah. it lets it gives a moment to reflect on the mothers instead of the children in a way that I think is really constructive and beautiful. If your children were going to write a tell-all about you, what would they say? Immediately, I just thought of these little um, Mother's Day poems that they wrote. So I will tell you exactly what they will say. This is my <laughs> older one. It's called My Mother. He's, he's a man of many words. I like my mother. <laughs> <laughs> she plays games with me she likes smashburger i don't um, <laughs> my mom likes movies she is like athena and venus she likes writing my mom likes her own books <laughs> my mom likes reading my mom likes jessica jones <laughs> so, hey jessica jones yeah i loved i do love you got that one right and then uh, my little one said, my mom is as pretty as honey. My mom is as smart as a scientist. My mom is as caring as a kangaroo. My mom is as sweet as a bird. My mom is as helpful as a gorilla. And when I asked him about the gorilla part, he said, because they let their babies, like they backpack their babies and always have them like carrying them. And um, so I think, I think that they get um, what my hope is both that mix of silliness, right? The kitchen dance parties alongside the like the care. That's what I that's what I would hope. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly. I we really appreciate this. I love talking to you. Bye. Right, bye guys. Take care. Bye. And I will say <laughs> my little one um, has what, you know, for us was home ec. He's got um, family and consumer science or something it's called. And he called me the other day to pick him up um, from the park because he had a baby. And I said, what do you mean you have a baby? <laughs> and he, um, he was sitting in the park by himself with his baby because he was afraid the baby would cry. It's like this robot baby. Um, and all of his friends were in the pizza place. 
So he was <laughs> by himself. And um, <laughs> you're going to write about this, of course. Yes. I think I think it's going <laughs> And it turns out he was supposed to have this baby with his, one of his best friends, this really amazing girl. And uh, he didn't get his permission slip in early enough. So she was having the baby by myself. So she had the baby Thursday. So he got it on Friday for the weekend. (laughs) He said, you know, can you come and pick me up? I was in the middle of work. I was like, I I can't. So then his friends were going to the library. He's like, I can't bring the baby in the library. I said, why not? <laughs> and then he called me later. The baby's crying. Can you please come and help me? And um, and so I I rescued him and oh. he came back and this baby was really loud and crying and at home for that, for that evening. And I <laughs> peeked my head out of my office and looked and the baby's crying and he's, he's like laid out, um, just rocking the little Graco cradle. <laughs> Uh, and I look at him and he says, being a dad is really hard. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's exactly what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. It's so, that's so much different than the bag of flour. Wow. Or the egg. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Some consequences for these kids. 